Welcome back to In Search of Tarot, a podcast that examines, questions, and reimagines our approach to life and the cards. Through guest interviews and in-depth discussions, we'll explore and expand the beautiful complexities of spirituality, philosophy, magic, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Angie. And we're your hosts for this fascinating ride. Thanks for being here with us. Our guest today is Chanti Tocorante Perez, a Cuban-American artist, author, ritualist, and non-clinical depth psychologist. Chanti believes that images speak a profound language. She spends her time translating the unseen and advocating for the imaginal. She is currently working on her doctoral dissertation on navigating the liminal via a creative divinatory journey as an other way to recover the marginalized, forgotten, and silenced. Her work and teaching centers imagination, creativity, dreaming, and deep rest. She teaches workshops and collaborative trainings focused on creativity, dreaming, intuitive movement, deep rest, and yoga nidra. Her passion is to inspire all to rediscover their creative self by resting, weaving the blessings with the wounds while honoring the land and ancestors. As you'll hear in this interview, I adore Chanti and her work and feel so lucky to have met her via this crazy thing that we call the internet. If you, like me, have struggled to understand and apply archetypes, I hope that you'll listen to this entire conversation as Chanti really explains archetypes and archetypal images in a way that is clearer and more relatable than anything that I've ever heard before. And if by the end of this episode, you're feeling called to explore archetypal images more, I hope you'll join me this December during the darkening days of the year for my winter solstice tarot study, which will be the first group offering that I facilitated in over a year. This season of the podcast has shown me the immense power of working with the cards through a specific lens. And if you've been listening along, I bet that you felt that too. Winter Solstice Tarot Study will be a time of discovering and nurturing the specific lens through which you approach the cards. Each week, we will utilize texts covering a vast array of topics provided to you as free PDFs to center and ground our explorations of the cards. We will listen to and learn from each other inside of our weekly Zoom gatherings, as well as throughout the month on our Slack network. And all of our meetings will be recorded in case you can't attend live. By the end of these five weeks, you will have developed a strong sense of the unique viewpoint that you bring to the tarot. Winter Solstice Tarot Study will run December 1st through the 29th and will meet once a week for five weeks. And all of the suggested reading and PDFs and syllabus will become available to you on November 17th. So if this offering is speaking to you, there is a link to register in the show notes. And members of our Patreon receive 15% off this offer if you would like to join and support the show. And as with all of my offerings, BIPOC and members of the LGBTQIA community are always welcome to use code TRANSCEND for 10% off. So I hope to see you this December. All right, now on to today's conversation. Enjoy. Chanti, welcome to In Search of Tarot. I am so, so happy to talk to you today. Um, And just, yeah, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I was telling you before we started recording that this is the least, honestly, I've ever thought ahead about the questions that I wanted to talk to you about because the way that you and I met, just for people who are listening, is you attended my stereo archetype workshop that I did a few months back. And I was so drawn to you immediately and also so thrilled that you were present because you have a background in studying Jungian psychology and archetype. And that workshop was examining archetype and kind of deconstructing it and complicating it. And you were one of the first people that spoke and you were like, I actually am studying this and I actually have a lot of different things to say about this than, than what you're saying. And I, I was just so thrilled that you were there. And since then, you know, we've gotten to know each other via Patreon and I've read for you. And every time I talk to you, I just feel very drawn to you and, and it feels very easy to, to talk to you. So, you know, I'm trusting that this is going to be a nat- very natural, very easy, wonderful conversation. And and I'm just thrilled to have you. Well, I think it should be because I, I feel like even listening to the podcast, it feels like a real um, a, a space for curiosity and a space of like in between where um, I don't have to be correct or prove anything 
or be right. I can just have um, a feeling and a sensation and an intuition and, and, and talk about it. And that's, I mean, that's really how I got to even uh, being in that class. I didn't even know it said stereo archetype like that. <laughs> when you said that I was like oh yeah stereo means like stereotypical I didn't put those two things um together and it was a great it was a great time really to just um hear how archetypes are used and expressed in other spaces than you know the Jungian depth psychological pantheon circle spaces which is refreshing to be honest yeah, I mean, well, that's amazing, first of all, and and um, I'm glad that, that that wasn't clear. I'm glad that you got led there. Um, and yeah, I mean, anyone that listens to this podcast knows that for a while now, I have felt very troubled by archetype and very honestly confused by it. Um, and, you know, that's what we're going to kind of dive into for a lot of the conversation today. I feel like finally I'm getting to kind of really tackle this with someone, but before we get there, um, you are a multi-hyphenate, you know, amazingly talented, magical human. Um, and I want to dive into, I want to let people get to know all the sides of you that I possibly can in the next, you know, 45 minutes. Um, so to begin, I'm going to ask you the question I've been asking everyone this season, which is just, you know, help us land where you are tell us how you would describe where you are in the world and who you are in this present moment. Physically, I am in um, Tewa land, um, Hikari Apache land, um, in what's now known as Santa Fe. Um, and then that question, it's difficult for me. And it's difficult even um, thinking about this as a, a, a place where people will be using their, their hearing. So it's challenging for me um, because I'm really just using my words. And when you asked me that question, um, I drew a picture. <laughs> so this picture, when you asked, like, who are you in this moment? I thought, wow, this is, this is an interesting uh, question. So I kind of went on a, like a fun drawing exercise and there's like a Cuban flag and the words like, uh, dreamer and artist and bailadora and dancer and nurturer. There's a big gash in the middle of this figure that is representing a wound. There's the maker and there's the one who's looking for home. There's the seeker and the one that's resting. Um, there's the creatrix and there's the depth psychologist. There's the potential doctor. There's the collaborator and the learner and the one that's navegando liminal. Um, there's the hyphen and the dissertating and the learner and the gardener and the advocate. Um, and then when I was on a walk today, I was like, wow, how am I going to explain this to people who are listening? Mm -hmm. Because the image to me feels, um, to me, it feels more powerful. So I landed on a word, which can also be an image. And that word is traductora. So a translator. <laughs> So in a nutshell, if I had to um, use a word as an image, and, and when I say image, I don't mean necessarily a picture. I mean, anything that um, is gifted from the imagination can be an image. So it can be a picture and it can be a memory and it can be a song or a poem or a word. And so this image of, of traductora or translator kind of uh, came through to share with you of who uh, I am this moment. I love that so much. I mean, all of that. And also the theme of translation, I feel like has been coming up for me in a lot of ways. Um, and in this moment, in my present moment, what is kind of hitting me about translation is the difficulty of it and the, and the, um, the spell of words right now i'm taking sophie strand's rewilding mythology course um actually was just catching up on this week's lesson right before we hopped on and i think i mentioned to you that i just read david abrams coming animal and david on this week's lesson was explaining that words are magic and, and even he was pointing out spelling you know when you spell something that you literally are casting a spell and also spelling a word but but as you were talking tonight 
I also was thinking about the the maybe beautiful naturalness of humans wanting to interact with what they're seeing and feeling through translation, you know, through the app, you know, wanting to explain themselves and talk about, you know, or, or communicate the emotion, you know, to get things across. I mean, it's the same feeling that an artist has, um, you know, in drawing, like you're saying. So there's a, there's a beauty and a humanity to language as well, you know, not to, not to just vilify language, but also to humanize it, I think, you know. So tell us a little bit about your story. I mean, as, as much as I've gotten to know you through our conversations in private, I haven't really been able to hear from your own mouth, you know, about how you entered into this path. I'm curious if your family, you know, if any of this stems from your family, um, or just how you began to go towards all these different modalities that you work in and and the spiritual path that you're on? So before, when I was thinking about uh, meeting with you and on my walk, um, I had had a lot of images um, come up for me. And some of those images were um, creative things that I have made as a child that I knew were medicine, were medicinal. There was nobody that kind of like said, oh, here, here's a whole bunch of supplies. Why don't you make a collage? Although that was, I was, I'm blessed to be uh, part of a family that was very, um, they had no other choice but to be creative. So my family um, migrated from Cuba before the revolution, during the revolution. And so I'm a first generation person living in the United States. Um, And I feel that those images that came up today, there's three images. One image was um, there, there was a severing in my family and the image that came forward was of a, of a, like a child singing or a child playing a flute. And I feel like I spent hours cutting up newspaper, cutting up color in magazines and in newspaper and creating this like life-size silhouette of this child playing a flute or singing. So that was the first image that came forward. The second image was the image of a mirror. And um, this was during a time where I had to make a decision um, to shift my place where I was currently living in. And I was making this self-portrait. It was a self-portrait. It was like a high school art class thing, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember why. Um, and I had uh, kind of banged on a mirror and took the mirror and plastered it to a board and then started painting around it. And when I looked at myself through that image and I could see myself, my reflection in the mirror, I felt literally broken. And then the third image that kind of came forward is really, it's both a, a very sad image to me. It, it really makes my like heart pound, but it also speaks to um, the blessing that it is to have hands or parts of the body that are able to create. When my dad came as a young, young man, um, to this country via another country. Um, he stayed in the basement of a friends of the families. I don't even remember who it was. And they basically, you know, there was a mattress and a bed and everything was just like, you know, kind of hand-me-down things. Nothing was really nice. Um, but my dad has this gift of being able to see past what's right in front of him. And so he redid the bed. He spent like all his leftover time um, when he wasn't like working and he, he like polished and, you know, did some woodwork with like very simple tools, thinking about his family coming and sleeping on that bed together. And when the people upstairs saw what my dad had done, they were like, wow, this is amazing. 
We're going to take it for ourselves. And so it's so, it's so sad because, I mean, you think about, you have a young man in a foreign country waiting for his family to come and not knowing how to greet them, doing something that was basically a, a gift. He's also creative. Many of my family members are really creative in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having it taken from him. Right. So to me, those, I, I feel like those three images today, <laughs> there, there are many more, <laughs> But um, when you when you ask me like how how do I how did I get to this place of of being a translator or interested in um, the psychology of the depths or the psychology of the image or holding images with care um, and sharing with other people how to explore those big feelings outside of their bodies so that they can or so that I can. Um, not be burdened with them inside of my body. So I feel like though those three images were were, I mean, they were real, like, oh wow, I could actually see something outside, you know, with the the image of the boy or the child playing the song, and then the mirror image. And then the story of, you know, my my dad coming and having this gift and then it being taken away. I hope you don't, It's if you don't feel comfortable speaking about this on the podcast, we can always edit this out. But I know that in previous conversations, you've shared with me a feeling of not really having a home. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm totally okay talking about that. And I'm, I'm glad you bring that up after hearing the story of my dad, because I feel it has a very similar um, resonance or vibration of, of the feeling of not Um, I call it landlessness or um, when we think of homeless, we think of no roof over our heads sometimes. Um, And, and in in Spanish, you think of sin patria, like without a place to claim um, or without a, uh, a a flag to hold, you know? So, um, so yeah, the, my, a lot of my work stems around my own wounding, <laughs> which is being born on, you know, this side of the Atlantic Ocean <laughs> and never feeling quite at home. Still, to this day, there are things, I had a conversation yesterday with a really um, great friend of mine, uh, and she asked me, well, what, what are some things that feel home like or do you have like and I'm like yeah like intellectually and theoretically I know you know I have my feet on the ground I have never been without um a roof over my head I've had for the most part running water but not always (laughs) oh this is true um but the feeling that there's no land that I can go back to and feel um, connected to at home. And this friend of mine says, oh, you were born on the waters. You were born on the ocean. You know, you're from this kind of bridge space. You're, um, and, and then I think about like all these um, symbols that are, you know, connecting. Um, and I, I had the privilege to live and work Um, in a city that I thought, or in a country that I thought I would feel 100% at home. So I remember standing at the, at the beach in Miami, I was born in Miami, and either being told stories or feeling like my home was past that ocean. And my, my family was not political at all. So I didn't get with what a lot of, um, first generation kids growing up in Miami got was that Cuba was bad, the revolution was horrible, and Fidel Castro was a terrible person. I mean, you would hear that, but it wasn't like ingrained in me. I got the stories of my dad living in the campo, living in in the farm, and um, of like walking barefoot and of, of coffee being poured over and over again um, in this big Tina. Um, and I got, uh, I got the, 
the stories of my grandmother kind of in the garden without even speaking. She didn't really tell me these stories, but it was just like a, almost like a, a translation of her life that felt really like, oh, I would belong in this place. This is really your home. We're not from here. We're not American. <laughs> We're Cubans and we don't speak English in my house. We barely, I mean, with my grandmother, I, I did not speak any um, English and that you belonged over there. And so in my imagination, you know, I was like, oh my God, this is this magical place where I'm just going to feel welcomed and at home and the air is going to be different and, um, and I have family there and there's this whole, and so during that time, there was no internet, there was no phone calls and the U.S. embargo had created a big severance between families. So our families could not keep in touch like we can today. And so I was given the chance to live and work and, and, and study in Havana. And I, and I was there for five years and I did not belong. I was la gringa, <laughs> you know, I was not my, I had an accent. Um, and I remember being in, you know, I speak Spanish well. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't understand these words because yes. everything was a slang, you know, like I had to learn or relearn or translate a whole other language. And it was so frustrating also. It's still frustrating. Go so ahead. how how have you, or, I mean, or maybe you haven't, but how are you going about reconciling that for yourself or how, what has that journey been like for you? I don't know if reconcile is the right image for me. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like reconcile has an ending <laughs> mm -hmm. and I see it as a wounding, you know, I see it as a wounding. And similar to any wounds that we may have, whether it's like a, um, a dermal wound, you know, a, a, a skin wound or a psychic wound, I don't feel like it ever goes away. You know, I have like scratches or I have, I've been, I've fallen and I've been sewn up and the, the scar is there. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a remembrance and a reminder of that story. And so to, I feel like to reconcile what home is in a finite way would be to cut myself off from an in-betweenness that I'm not, I'm actually not willing. Um, I'm learning to grow, like grow into being okay without necessarily having a patria or feeling like there's a land <laughs> for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and maybe that's also why I, um, I spend a lot of, a lot of my time in the, in imaginary space. It's very soothing and healing and supportive and images can be created like the bridge <laughs> or the rainbow, um, uh, or even a hyphen. Sometimes it feels really good to, you know, I like to have a hyphened last name, mm -hmm. um, and not necessarily allow things to be so fixed. It gets me in a lot of trouble, you know? <laughs> like I won't, sometimes it's really difficult for me to take a side. Um, and so I'm in this kind of in-between space where I can go to the left and I can go to the right. And, you know, there's a Rush song. I remember hearing this in middle school and it was, it was a quote from the song and it said, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Mm -hmm. And that was always so frustrating for me. Like, oh my God, if I don't decide, there is still a choice. I don't know if you saw recently, I wrote about this. Um, I learned the etymology of understand mm -hmm. as uh, related to old English and Sanskrit and being translated as um, to stand in the midst of. Yeah, you know, and man, that changes so much for me, you know, that really helps me feel differently about what it is to understand something. Um, yeah, I've reconciled that word too, by mm -hmm. feeling I, I did, I did see you write that. And I thought, oh, I've, I feel like I stand under things, instead mm -hmm. of 
understand, I stand under and allow that, whatever that is that one is trying to understand or connect with to like pour over you. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, But I mean, you know, from my own lineage and background as a white person and as coming from like a colonizer background, I mean, I definitely feel that for my whole life, really, I've always felt that understanding something was like really taking it in or like owning it, I guess, in a way, really, to be honest, like feeling that I really, that there was definitely one side to it. You know, it did not feel multi-sided to, to come to an understanding that felt, that felt akin to grappling or learning or trying to understand, but understanding was like, okay, I'm here. I've reconciled, you know, but now to think of understanding is actually standing in the midst of, and that that is the understanding that that is a greater understanding, you know, just really uh, is life-changing for me, you know? It, it, it really feels like a spectrum. I, I struggle a lot with understanding because I just, I, there are just things that I just don't, I don't understand. Right. You know, really like it's very, it was very difficult for me to read. I had to learn how to read in a, in a, in a very different way. Um, and I just, I had to rely on the sense of intuition. Sometimes I read something and I know I'm feeling something. But I just don't, I can't quote unquote prove it or like go back and say, well, this is why. (laughs) And I think a lot of Western society makes us, puts us in the successful category when we can speak eloquently and articulate things that we understand. Right. And And have an answer. And have an answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's very frustrating to somebody like myself, who's like, how do I translate this? Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a weird question for you. I, I might have I told you this. <laughs> I, I might have told you about this book last time we spoke, but um, there's a book out that is also on my list that I've not read yet. But the premise of this book, it's called Babel, if anyone's looking for a new book. And the premise is um, it's fictional and it is a society in which um, people that can translate between two languages there are these silver bars that they write both words that have similar but not the same meaning but similar meanings and only the person who understands both the similarities and the differences can work the magic of the the silver bar which i think is so cool so the question i want to ask you is can you think of an example in your own life with translating the languages that you've you know existed in of two words that you feel like you have a unique ability to work the magic of these two words blessing wound and i just want to say that we don't need to make meaning out of our wounding however Mm. (laughs) however no because sometimes it's like oh how do i make this bad quote unquote bad thing or this wound thing or this thing that hurts how can I just magically make that better? And then you just kind of go, you know, flow over something and um, you don't necessarily receive the healing. I feel like the healing happens in that in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the blessing and the wounding, there's, there is an image, um, I have it right here. Um, there's an image of a cold person that is unable to share love and this cold person is holding like an infant and it's mountainous and snowy and it was a very wounding image for me and I and I created it so that it didn't it no longer had to live inside of me and you know I now live in a snowy mountain (laughs) area um And maybe two years ago, I was kind of contemplating or in a meditation and this image came of this and it's blue, it's blue. And this image came and it was like blue starlight or blue kind of like snow, but had a different quality to it. Mm -hmm. And I happened to glance over and see this image and it was 
it had transformed itself into this blessing. There was a blessing to that cold um, inability to love, that that also gave me a freedom to be curious and to live a, a different kind of life. Have you ever heard of the exercise of feeding your demons? Oh, yeah. 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 What yeah. you're speaking to reminds me of that. Um, and I learned that through a Buddhist practice. I don't yes. know that it's, yeah. Um, I don't know that it's only from that that lineage is what I was going to say, but that's how I came to it. And it was yeah. very healing. And, and um, I do think there's, I'm also going through that right now in learning astrology. I'm doing that with Pluto. I have a challenging Pluto placement yeah. and, and I've decided to devote myself to Pluto in response to that. So not, not as a way to um, cultivate Pluto within myself necessarily, but more to say, I hear you. Like I see you, I hear you, you know, I honor you. Um, and that's kind of what I'm hearing and what you're talking about is, is sort of turning to the wound and giving it what, and asking it, what do you need? You know, that's with feeding your demons. That was what was really important for me was the experience of saying, what is it that you want? And then being surprised by how it responded. You know, I, I thought it was going to say something very different than what it said. And then just letting it have, you know, what it said it wanted until it was satiated. Um, and I think about that with the devil card in tarot. I definitely, I see the devil card through that same lens of, you know, I always am feeling kind of almost sorry for the devil really in a way, because no one is listening to what the devil says it wants, you know, no one's giving it what it, what it needs and everyone's just kind of pushing it away. And it's like, you know, please, can we turn to the devil and can we find out what the heck it needs and can we just give it what it needs <laughs> you know well here it, here i think and i am by no means any kind of tarot expert but <laughs> i would consider myself a a good intuitor of images yes so when you when you speak of the devil in this way you have this stereo type that mm-hmm. the devil gets for being this kind of the big bad wolf kind of deal. Um, And, you know, when you and I have talked about this archetype, so whenever you get that card, then it it almost like pushes like fear into you, Mm -hmm. you know, without, and luckily I, I, I I was really drawn to the tarot just because of the, the, the images and the, and, and looking at it as a map. And so, um, this idea of, of any kind of, I mean, any card could really be a wound card. It could be right. anything. Yeah. Um, but we see something like the devil is like, oh my God, this is like a terrible demon, which is good. It's good to have those images around. <laughs> I'm glad there's an image like that um, in, this, in this kind of map. And, and I think those images are very... Um, the image of, or the the sensation or the archetypal image, and I know you want to get to that, <laughs> but the archetypal image of like the devil uh, has a kind of vibration to it, but that can come from any of those cards. Yeah. I don't know what people think when they get that card. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, let's just, let's go there because we're there and um, it's a great segue into it. And, you know, this is the thing about tarot that I'm thinking about right now is it's exactly what you just said. It's that any of the cards could mean anything. They could all mean anything and everything. And you are describing a a way of working with image that is absolutely stunning and gorgeous where it's coming into your life in the moment, you know, as it's happening, as you need it. Um, And that's very different than the tarot, the way it's often used in that a lot of the way, a lot of the world uses tarot with, you know, a lot of people use the Smith Rider Waite deck, for instance. So the images are sort of fixed in that way. There are, the, there are those certain images. And then there are these certain meanings that are taught through a system, a structured system that was codified by, you know, 17th and 18th century occultists. And that's how the translation occurs. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, but the longer I work with the cards, 
the more limited I feel. And yet I also feel lately that it it's very overwhelming and equally as unuseful to kind of be faced with the fact that every single card can mean anything, you know, like how, I mean, how do you make meaning from that? You know? You don't so, have- yeah. So, so what do you think? I mean, I'm, I know that you're early in your, ter- your personal like tarot journey, but you are someone that works with image. How are you allowing the images to be more like specific and of the moment, but also expansive? You know, I mean, how are you, how are you reconciled? I don't mean to keep using the word reconcile, but how are you currently translating that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it's interesting that, um, that you bring up this like codification of, of something and of an image and it happens all the time, right? It happens, you know, when we see the sun, there's a sensation, there's a feeling there's, um, and I mean the sun outside. Right. <laughs> and when something is kind of put down codified when it gets pulled over time um people's experiences layer and fall onto in my experience this is just my interpretation they have now fallen onto and kind of um obscured the actual image Mm. so I love all kinds of Oracle stuff because I love image. And so when I have, when I work with it in just like collage or in, um, you know, a lot of people have Oracle decks. (laughs) That's just, Mm -hmm. and it's wonderful. And I love it. I'm so glad people are connecting with an image this way because it is difficult to, um, I mean, it's in the palm of your hand. You know what I mean? Like you have all of this, wisdom and 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 intricate detailed creative expressions and then I feel like this codification or this meaning um, kind of gets placed over the card and so you're no longer having a relationship to the image and you're you're turning to the book that tells you what it means. Mm -hmm. And this happens in dreams all the times because um, one place when I work with folks uh, around dreams, you know, the tarot is a place where you can just, it's in the palm of your hand or any Oracle really. And you can flip through before going to sleep as a different way instead of scrolling through your phone to allow that kind of imaginative quality to come forward. And so when we talk about you know, dreams or images, people get a card and then it's like their whole body turns for the book and for the meaning. And there's no rest. There's no pause. It feels to me like somebody eating and swallowing. There's no chewing happening. There's no like smelling the food and being like, oh, you know, this, this is, this meal is so delicious. You know, (laughs) look, I got the, you know, I got 10 wands in a bucket and there's these little, there's no savoring that moment. And I, I actually think that, um, the space for imagination, the space for pause, the space for rest, the space for creativity is not welcomed in a Western society that says, (laughs) time is money, money is time type deal, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we've gotten so used to the meaning being right there. Yeah. And our, um, there's no like alternate thinking, you know, there's no critical, you can call it critical, you can call it imaginative feeling, thinking, using your senses. And there's not even the question of, oh, this is a two-dimensional image. Like what's happening to the left and to the right? What's happening behind this image? Mm-hmm. What's, what's the smell in the room where this is happening? Um, and so I think our fast-paced, meaning-making Western life has obscured our relationship with the image so that we can look at the devil or um, what's that? Uh, the 
the five of cups no no the five of wands it's the it's the in in one of the decks that i use it has like two birds you know like okay. yelling at each other yes. but there's like men on the rider weight smith there's men like fighting each other uh-huh. right uh-huh. and you know and and i feel like i i didn't learn i don't i don't read the books <laughs> you know and from just from like hearing people talk about it it's like oh that's anger you know there's going to be an angry moment there's going to be a burst of fire it's going to be <laughs> and i was like you know, I, and sometimes um, I I really play. You know, I feel like it's a game. It's a they're cards. They're they're they were created as a as a playful experience. Mm-hmm. And so I really do play with them. And sometimes I do it in the morning. I'm like, oh, I'm so interested. Like, what's gonna what's gonna be so playful? And it's like, oh, I had this like burst of energy to get on the treadmill and like run and feel the heat. And you know, it was just like that burst of like energy that that I feel like that um that it can be anger or it can be like uncomfortable I'm always uncomfortable running (laughs) that's why sometimes I do it well let me ask you a question how important or what is the role do you think of the artist's intention behind the image I'm glad you asked that because the the tarot to me is a beautiful place to see the development of the archetypal image of how these um in a condensed way how these energies that happen find a shape and find a place and find a fragrance in in art in image or in a a drawing um so the artist's intention it's the artist expressing that energy, their own unique way of expressing it. But you don't know sometimes who the artist is and you are gonna translate and interpret that intention based on your own experience and your own um, coloring and your own uh, senses and feelings and tastes. I, I can't remember the artist's name, but I remember being in a in a show. I think it was called Sensation or something. It was in New York. It was a it it had a lot of problematic quote unquote art. And there was this one artist, and they had created an image of it was a religious image. That's the word that I'm looking for. It was a religious image, and they were not from the Western world. And so this religious image was then placed on like cow dung as like a holder, right? And people were so upset that this religious image was being shown on shit. And then it's like, so does the artist's intention matter? You know, so, it, you know, yes and no. Right. You know, whenever I create something, it matters to me. And that's why I'm creating it. There's a reason why I'm spending my time, my energy, my wounding, my, you know, sometimes even like my sleep. <laughs> um, grappling to translate this feeling, sensation, dream, whatever it is that feels like it's overflowing out of me. And it has to be placed in some other container. And so it does matter. The artist's intention does matter. But then when somebody else comes to be with that image, they may or may not get that same vibration. Mm-hmm. It can happen sometimes. Sometimes it feels, you know, and when people don't identify as an artist or they find it, I think everybody's an artist. So <laughs> when they don't identify as a creative person, or find it really hard to like make something, then having an image like, or a map, I think of the tarot as like a map, uh, having an image to like, be like, oh yes. Like I totally feel this way. And and that's a, that's a question that I kind of grapple with too. It's like, so what's happening when we choose <laughs> a, 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 an image, right? Or a, a card? You know, is it this energy within us that is kind of being mirrored 
or is it the image that wants to be seen you know or maybe it's probably both ends because sometimes I'm like oh yeah this is totally the image wants me to see it yeah <laughs> or I, I'm like oh yeah this is I'm totally feeling this way if you enjoy hearing conversations like this one, please consider supporting In Search of Tarot by becoming a member of our Patreon community. There you'll receive weekly mystic missives discussing any number of philosophical, tarological concepts, along with discounts to upcoming classes and workshops, and invitations to attend our monthly tarot hangs on Zoom. The financial support we receive through Patreon is the only way that we're able to pay our incredible guests who join us week after week to share their knowledge and life stories with all of you. We are so appreciative of our existing patrons' generous support, and we invite you to join them at patreon.com slash insearchoftarot. You have really helped me in the bit of time I've known you. You've drawn um a distinction between archetype and archetypal image which you kind of have pointed to already but I don't want to say how would you define it because I don't want to make you define I don't want to make you define something but how would you talk about archetype and archetypal image um so interestingly so I'm coming from the kind of um lens or focal point of Jungian depth psychology, just want to say that from the get-go. Um, when, when Jung was kind of, I would say, grappling with um, his own images, what he was experienced within his own imagination, uh, he, he started calling these things dominance. So something that felt present or, you know, dominant, like an energy. The, the, the one word that I like to use is like a quality, you know, an, an energy. Because, you know, you know, the etymology of like archetype, it's like some people relate that to like first. Um, and first feels like it, it has a beginning. <laughs> Right. But it, but I I more see it like a, a doorway or a, or old, um and and then something that has a kind of um a pattern and and I really feel that Jung was looking for what was similar in the human experience, and these archetypes, these energies that really first were coming through in the space of the dreams and with you know he was a he was a Swiss doctor um uh working with people that had mental illness schizophrenia um and and he did a lot a lot of his own um contemplation with those energies that were coming forward and so when we think of when we loosely use the word archetype or when I feel like um, maybe folks outside of the Jungian depth psychological world, and that's fine if I, just, I don't want to say like, <laughs> this is how we have to use it, um, that the archetype has no distinct form. It's an energy and it, and it kind of lives like a star. These were ways and patterns and energies to explore something beyond consciousness. So he was really looking in, in the unconscious um, and how these energies were influencing our behavior, fear, <laughs> sadness, grief. We tend to now hear these stereo archetypes. I'm gonna use that word yeah. <laughs> of like, you know, people, you know, we use like, there are these like peoples, but the energy, it's not, there's no, there, it went, and it was a hypothesis. It wasn't anything that you could prove. I mean, what can we prove of, of the unconscious? And so words and people, and over time to make things, to simplify things, it's hard to live in a complex world. It is, mm -hmm. it's hard. It doesn't feel safe. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we make things easy and safe, and then we strip it of its, Com complex beauty 
you know, it's so complex, the archetype, right? There's this like formless energy, even just to talk about it, it's like, oh my God, we have to like imagine something. And then what we imagine is that archetypal image, you know? So when we have the archetypes that we've already talked about in image form, we have home, you know, you asked me about home. We all have a feeling of that. And then if that feeling had to be kind of manifest in the world, it would come as an archetypal image. You can only get close to the archetype through the archetypal image, according to Jung. There's no, you know, left or right. There's no like perfect. I know you were talking about like, oh, the mother. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, oh, the mother. But even if we, you know, we can, we can look at other energies of like the mirror, you know, or uh, something like um, home or even migration, you know, migration even takes it even further because, so when I say migration, what is the first imagination picture feeling that you get? I saw like a dirt road in a suitcase. Okay. So that's an archetypal image. <laughs> yeah. What? Well, so, so I'm totally with you. This is fantastic. It's the best I've ever heard it explained anywhere. Um, what I'm wondering though, is like, it seems like, so if Young is saying you can only get close to the archetype through the archetypal image, it seems like, like what I just did, that example you just gave of me with migration. I mean, that's my image. That's a personal image that came to me that has meaning for me in that way so isn't some some of that connection lost when we just work with other people's archetypal images or just or even a deck of cards even even an oracle deck isn't there a little bit of closeness lost well yes and no what proximity do you want to get to the archetype you know do we know how close or how far we can be from something you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to say, oh, I want to get as close as possible, but do we really like, right. <laughs> you know, do I really want to get close to that suitcase in that dirt road? Not me. <laughs> I've had that suitcase packed for so many years. Right. But, and that image that you shared, and this is, this is what really makes it archetypal is that if you asked if you took a poll let's say throughout history and across cultures you know I'm even thinking of now the fool card with like a sack right and it really feels like migration because you don't know where you're going with right. that suitcase right and so Many people and many, uh, even like, I, I like migration because birds do this, you know, mm -hmm. it's not only in the human world. It's like, right. oh, it's time to go. There's something that tells us it's time to go. Humans have migrated both physically and we migrate consciously, unconsciously, you know, we migrate when we close our eyes and imagine ourselves somewhere else. That's a kind of migration. So it's helpful to have, yes, your um, kind of unique or personalized image, especially when you're working with something like wounding or something that, that, that you're really invested in. And it is so helpful to have other artists creating because it actually, the, the art, the archetypal image can stir something within you. So you might see, and, and this happens um, with us. You had, I don't know how, what happened, but you were talking about a crow. And the very next day I went on my walk to the hike that I usually go to and I parked my car and there was this massive raven just right in front. And that image, that archetypal image reconnected me to remembering you. And I don't know what that does. You know, we don't know how those images that 
perhaps we're, we're not 100% close to really do have an effect on us. And so when we go to like, um, you know, anywhere really, but when we go to a place that is um, full of creative expression, you, you are stopped by something, something in that space, whether it's a museum or um, uh, a market, something stops you and you're, you feel an attraction to it. And then we can say, oh, what, what is happening here? Why am I attracted to this? And now this is getting real <laughs> kind of nitty gritty detailed, but it could be something that your unconscious is curious about, mm -hmm. not needing to work on it because sometimes, you know, the world of like psychology and psychotherapy is like, we got to work on this. We got to, you know, make everything healed. And, yeah. and it's like, we don't know, like dreaming is enough. Interacting with, images is enough we don't necessarily have to then take it further we don't know what happens when we just imagine you know it may seem foolish or useless but those uh that mycelial connection can happen at any time yeah. and you might be reminded of something or you know you might need some image to feel safe or connected or supported. Well, it seems like you're removing a little bit of the need to to make it have meaning or to like place meaning over it, you know, or translate it, you know, but that is definitely what I have encountered a lot of time around the idea of archetype is first of all, it's always felt as if there's some sort of like lit master list of archetypes <laughs> you know and um and secondly it definitely feels like it always has like a translatable meaning but you seem to be not agreeing with either of those things so tell me talk about that sometimes it's very helpful to make meaning and sometimes it's really warm and it feels helpful to see something expressed that you're feeling and you can't quite Put words to it that is super helpful that's happened to me so many times um and it can also be really harmful to just see the same thing repeated over and over and over and over and over again um because somebody's just read the same thing you know and when you see it repeating over and over again i sometimes i'm really curious and, I, and i'm like is this really like, is it archetypal? You know, like even, even when I talk about the archetype of, of mother, um, I mean, I'm like, which mother are you talking about? You know, are you, the, are you talking about the mother that's like, oh my gosh, my child is in the middle of the road and I have to snatch them? That has a different feeling than like the mother that gets stereotyped, which is I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to nurture you. Right. And you look like a gendered woman, <laughs> you know, and your eyes are soothing. That can be really harmful because I, I don't know, does that mother even exist Right. in that form? Well, do archetype, do they exist? I mean, that's a good question. Like, do, do they exist? I mean, or archetypal I images? Know. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> um, it's theory, you know, like, yeah. It, it's, um, do they exist? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I definitely feel like um, whether we use that word or not, there is an energy that I know that whether or not we live in the same place in the past and in the future, people have felt the need to migrate. People have made homes. People have wrestled with the sensation of home. People have wrestled with the feeling of being mothered, even love, you know, and grief and what that looks like. So I'm going to say they might not exist in, in, in Jung's, through Jung's lens or definition, but that energy that um, collaborates with us as a, a human experience that we, we experience as, as humans 
Um, I, I do feel like that is, that's a yes for me. I'm, and I mean, they definitely existed for young through Young's lens. Absolutely. You yeah. know, and that, and that I think is where I'm landing these days. I'm, I'm about to teach a course this December, the, the bulk of which is really going to be trying to develop each of the people's individual lenses through which they read tarot, you know, because I think that's really important. And I don't think that yeah. gets em- emphasized enough, you know, that you really figure out what is, what is my lens? How am I, what are, what are my archetypal images or what are the ways that I connect to these images, you know, and letting it be very individual and very personal, you know, even if we are working with Smith Rider weight deck, which is everywhere, what is your personal relationship to those images? And I, and I also feel like, um, for me being like a, a novice, I'm never going to read people's things, but um, it feels like memory gets layered onto it also. So there are certain, you know, um, images that from a specific deck that when it comes up, I'm immediately transported to a memory. And and I feel like that is... um, I don't think that's by mistake. I think that that's really how, for me personally, how I would develop what this, really what this image is sharing with me. Now, I don't know what it would be to like share with other people, but when you're having, um, when you're really having a conversation like we had when you read for me, uh, that energy, that that those archetypes are just present. You can't help but feel like them. You can't help it. And like in astrology, it's like, oh my gosh, this part of my chart needs some support. And so I often think, well, is it is it me allowing myself to offer that support that makes the change, that lets me see it from a different perspective or lets it have a spectrum rather than it be you know, oh my gosh, Saturn, or oh my gosh, Pluto, or oh my gosh, Mars, <laughs> you know, those, those planets that get stereotyped as like, naughty. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, we did not do a lot of what I said we were going to do. I feel like I have to bring you back for a part two, but this was amazing. Um, but I want to ask you my final question so I can hear, you know, what your thoughts were on that. So, Tell me what you are in search of right now in your life. Uh, what am I in search of? So I went in a spiral when I was doodling. Um, and I got to the point that I'm definitely in a cer- in, on the search for another way. Just mm. always an other with a big O, <laughs> another way. For anything and everything? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yep. For anything and everything. Um, Yeah. Another way that, you know, you might have to just look behind that two dimensional image to like scope out. um, Or you may have to like lay down and like dream about it, you know, like, oh, this is another way so that we don't keep or that I don't keep like perpetuating things that are not helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another way to translate. Another way to translate. That's for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this. This is, <laughs> I just love you to death. I, this is so great. Oh! So tell everybody how they can find you out there in the world, how they can work with you. There are so many offerings that we did not touch on. Everyone, please go explore all of Chanti's amazing offerings, but tell everyone, yeah, how they can find you and work with you. You can find me at Yantra Wisdom, Y-A-N-T-R-A wisdom.com. Yeah, most of the things that I'm offering are up there. All things dreaming, all things archetypal image, all things creative. Yeah. All things rest. All things rest. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there is a through line. I feel I'm translating it. 
but I feel there's a through line between um, this kind of honoring of the image when there's rest and when there is a space and possibility to dream without having to make anything of it at all. Pure, you are pure magic. You are, you're just, you're one of those people that, you know, you're just drawn to people. And I just, I love it. I love everything that you say. I love it. Um, amazing. Well, thank you again for being with me. Thank you for inviting me. This was fun. In Search of Tarot is independently written, recorded, edited, and transcribed by Nick Kepley and Angie Miller. You can follow Angie on Instagram at birdgirl underscore, that's B-I-R-D-G-E-R-H-L underscore, and you can follow me, Nick, on Instagram at In Search of Tarot. Have a question or a comment? Email us at isotpod at gmail.com. We also invite you to leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.